Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASHP Women in Pharmacy Leadership Series. This podcast invites members to share their stories and experiences on a broad range of topics affecting women in the pharmacy profession. My name is Maria Curias. I am Director of Member Operations at ASHP. Speaking with me today are Keisha Gant, Director of Pharmacy at Slidell Memorial Hospital in Slidell, Louisiana, Twee McKittrick, Pharmacy Program Manager at Physician Health Partners in Denver, Colorado, and Kiana Stewart, Senior Medical Science Liaison at the Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson in New Orleans, Louisiana. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of advocating for yourself in varying settings. I'd love to start off by asking each of you your thoughts on why this topic is important for both your personal and professional success. Keisha, let's start with you. Thank you so much, Maria. So this is very important because if you don't advocate for yourself, who will? It's that whole adage, right? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. So you have to make sure that you position yourself such that you are able to achieve what you would like to in life. I agree with you, Keisha. Uh, and thank you, Maria, for having us. You know, I think a lot of times when you have a non-traditional career path, as somebody that started out as an engineer, then turned into a pharmacist, the pediatrics, adults, you find yourself often being put into boxes. Uh, people carve out spaces for you. And unless you take the opportunity to advocate for yourself and show what you can do and what skill set you've gained, a lot of times you feel stuck. And so that's why this topic is so important to me because throughout my career, I feel like consistently I have to remind people of that skill set that they uh, were attracted to initially to bring me on board for the position. But then throughout the course of work and day to day, they kind of forget that you have that extended skill set. So that's why I think advocating for yourself is such an important topic. Hi, Maria. Thanks for allowing me to share the stage with these amazing women. Um, I started my career in the retail space, uh, both in high traffic cities to remote rural towns. And each experience really forced me to adapt to the different conditions, not only of the different patient populations, but also interprofessional relationships. I then transitioned to a senior clinical instructor for University of Colorado School of Pharmacy and the manager of Clinica Family Health, uh, which is a federally qualified health center. And as I worked my time there, we started to add more clinical services. Through all of this, we were able to secure a grant through the state and expand on clinical pharmacy services, which is a really a new concept to this organization. But because I was not really formally trained through a residency program, I acquired the BCACP certification. So as the clinical pharmacy program began to grow, I quickly realized that this model of care needed to be everywhere. And I felt confident that clinical pharmacists really needed to be in this primary care setting. So as I moved on, I found myself speaking to the CEO of Physician Health Partners, an organization that worked with over 300 primary care docs here in Denver. Despite not having a pharmacist physician posted, I feel like my ability to speak to the work that I've done and to advocate for myself really secured now my current chapter in my career. So I do feel like the ability to advocate for yourself 
comes from that confidence in the work that you've done and the passion that you really feel for your work. And I really think this is a climate, the climate is really changing where women, especially in the workforce, should feel empowered to advocate for themselves and speak to what they've accomplished and also speak to the aspirations that they want to pursue. Wow, I love that. I love hearing um, some background and how you all came from very different career paths and career decisions. So along those lines, can you share some examples or instances uh, where you felt you've had to kind of step out of your comfort zone and advocate for yourself in a professional setting? Um, I, I feel like I've lived my whole life out of the comfort zone. Because of that, I, I learned really early on how to assess the situation and learn how to adapt accordingly. In my professional life, I feel like the most out of my comfort zone was when I was trying to implement clinical pharmacy services without being quote unquote classically trained. I was a retail pharmacist for five years and I stepped into a position where I found my passion in inventory care. Um, I know my strength is my ability to connect with people and I, I really use that to propel me. Uh, I was working with very bright and residency trained clinical pharmacists and I felt a part of me always felt really insecure um, that I didn't have that. And so, you know, I really just took my insecurities. It's always motivated me and pushed me to, to push forward. And I realized there's just not one road to get to where you want to be. And similar to you, Twee, I didn't have, I guess, classical training um, to be where I am today. And similar to you, Kiana, I did have a career before I actually um, got into pharmacy. So after I graduated from undergrad, uh, my husband was in the Navy. So we moved to Virginia. And during that time, I needed to find a job. So the only job that I could find that I halfway liked was teaching math. So I wind up teaching math to middle and high school students. That's when I realized I didn't want to teach anyone under the age of 18. So I had to find something else that, that I enjoyed. Um, during that time, I was at the physicians with one of my children and I went to the pharmacy that was on base. And in that pharmacy was a pharmacist named Cynthia Benton. And Coincidentally enough, she actually graduated from University of Louisiana at Monroe. So she had enough time and she told me all about her job and all the wonderful things that she's able to do for her patients. And that really sparked my interest in pharmacy. Prior to that, I did not think anything about pharmacy. So went to pharmacy school. First year, I was like, I wanna teach, right? Still kind of carrying on, that's what I wanted to do. So I did the community residency, which, you know, you can transfer those skills over into inpatient, but it's still not inpatient. Went ahead and became a professor, um, spent five years at Xavier University and also at my clinical site, which was a federally qualified healthcare center, primarily managing anticoagulation and lipids and hypertension. And one day, kind of, as you're saying, right, stepping outside of your comfort zone, I was like, hmm, I see this position open at this hospital that's, I used to do my rotations at as a student and also work there as a student. So let me go ahead and step out and, and try and see if I can do it. So make a long story short, <laughs> I was given the position as a clinical pharmacist and similar to you, Twee, to 
short my skills as an inpatient clinician, I went ahead and did BCPS. As I say with these tests, it's always the studying, I think that that has the value, right? And not the test itself. So learned a lot in the process. Then I had to advocate for myself for the coordinator position, which is what I originally applied for. However, because I didn't have the experience, you know, I couldn't quite get there yet. So after harassing my old director, he <laughs> went ahead and, and granted me that particular position. So to get to where I am now, I honestly was a little, I'm very uncomfortable actually about becoming in charge of our department, but they convinced me to be interim. And during that time, when we were talking about the position um, and negotiating some things, they wanted to make it a pharmacy manager position. And that was my line in the sand. I was just like, I I'm okay with the salary, you know, all the, everything else that comes with it. But for me to put my name on this hospital, I need you to keep the same title that, you know, the position currently has. So they kept it and, and here I am today. I transitioned into a full uh, director or pharmacy position. So I'm definitely not the person who's the outspoken one, I'm usually sitting back kind of observing everything. So for me to say, I'm not going to do it if you don't give me this title, that was that was a huge thing for me. So. Wow, just listening to you all, it's amazing how much we all have in common when it comes to trying to advocate for ourselves. You know, Twee, I feel like you, I'm never comfortable anywhere. <laughs> I have to kind of grow into that and I'm still working on that uh, in, in the professional setting. And um, Keisha, it's so nice to hear about your teaching experience because oddly enough, that's what drew me into pharmacy. I was doing a joint project with some uh, grad students and we had a, a side project where we were looking at removal of pharmaceutical byproducts from wastewater treatment facilities. Um, and in it, I was so intrigued with the pharmacokinetics and the, you know, all of the, the compounds that it kind of opened me up to, to doing research in another area and then ultimately pharmacy school. But, you know, in terms of being an advocate for myself professionally, I've had to become comfortable being uncomfortable, um, recognizing that no one is going to be able to see the breadth and depth of what you can experience without you showing them that. You have to show up. And I think the thing that's really been most pivotal for me is making some unique moves, you know? So a lot of people don't know this, but when I first started out from pharmacy school, because I had this love for pharmacokinetics, I wanted to work with a patient population where that was a, a very dynamic area where you had to figure it out, right? So you think of a couple of groups of patients. You think about pediatrics, you think about oncology. Well, of course I wanted to do both. So in my training, I ran across a mentor um, who actually tied me into ASHP and she allowed me to do all of those things in my residency. And she said, you know what? You'll be able to do that wherever you go. So my first clinical position was actually as a professor and I was doing a little bit of everything. I got to advocate for sites in a pediatric endocrinology clinic. I got to manage a pediatric cystic fibrosis uh, unit in the hospital. And then I did some oncology work. And so a lot of people are like, wait, when? I thought you'd been an ID pharmacist for like six, seven years. 
but it it just speaks to the fact that you've got to sometimes make some unique moves to advocate for yourself. Sometimes that means that you don't get to stay in that comfort zone where you've you know made these relationships and you feel like they know who you are. And so the example of that I have is, you know, I wanted more growth. I wanted more clinical opportunities. I knew I could manage very complex patient cases. And in order to really be able to catapult my career, I wound up uh, taking a position actually in Dallas um, with the Dallas County Jail System. It's the jail health services um, that a lot of people don't realize affiliated with Parkland. And I got to help manage an HIV clinic in the jail. And I still say that was one of the most pivotal points in my career. It allowed me to give back. It showed me what it was like to advocate for others and their health. Um, and it, in it, it, it taught me how to advocate for myself. And lo and behold, you know, I think it's important I think I said this in the introduction, you've got to show people what you can do. Even if they see it on paper, you've got to give them opportunities to see you do what you do. And I was happy. I love my colleagues, enjoying the work. And um, about a year in, a former mentor of mine came to me and said, hey, you know, we've got this position open um, for an ID pharmacist uh, at Children's. And I had worked there previously. And, um, you know, is this something that that is in alignment with your career goals? And then from then on, I became full fledged ID pharmacist, but it took being uncomfortable with not knowing what was to come. It took taking some chances. And so sometimes the manner in which you advocate for yourself is really by making some unique choices to make sure that the, the full scope of your skill set and what you can do are really on display. Um, so, you know, that's my biggest piece. You just have to, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Wow. All of your examples clearly show that there is no single path to a successful career or happiness within your career. Um, I'm sure many people can relate with your journeys. I know I can. Um, and I actually think, Kiana, I'm going to steal that phrase, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, because it really resonated with me. I know I'm uncomfortable all the time. <laughs> I actually think, I know I have a, a fear of public speaking, and here I am on a podcast. So this is a good step. <laughs> so switching gears just a bit, you know, in today's virtual climate, the line between work and personal seems to have become even more blurred than ever before. Um, do you have any suggestions for how you can advocate for your own self? So, you know, um, I'll start this off, but the disclosure that I'm going to put out there, disclaimer, is that this is something I'm still working on. So as I share these tips, these are things that I try to do, um, and sometimes I'm really good at them and sometimes not. But it is important. I mean, part of advocacy is making sure that you keep some you time because um, an adage that I love to share with others and I need to take my own advice is that an empty vessel can't pour. Um, so you've got to constantly fortify yourself. And so some of the things that I've done in that regard are I have this need if and I don't know if it stems from, you know, being a clinical pharmacist in the hospital setting where providers are used to you giving them these rapid responses. Like they have a question, you're the expert, you're supposed to know, right? And you're supposed to give it to them right then, right there. Um, but over time, I developed this horrible habit that I don't want anyone listening to this to develop. And that is anytime an email came across, a text message, a call, I had to get it right then and there. 
And I had to answer it right then and there. I had to figure it out right then and there. And so my first tip is you don't have to answer it right then and there. There are some things that need an immediate answer, but give yourself some, some time, you know? Maybe it's as simple as not having your email up while you're doing something else so that you don't feel this rapid need to answer. Um, you know, something that I do now, since most of us are working remotely um, in some capacity, uh, is I move my boxing bag into my office. So all day long, I am looking over the desktop and I see my boxing bag. So it's almost like these subliminal messages coming from it to me all day long saying, you've got to remember to fit me in. You've got to remember to fit me in. So before I leave the office, I have my clothing change already here. So I don't even have an excuse to leave the room, change, knock out 15 minutes if it's just 15 minutes. If it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes, but something. And then the last piece that I would say in terms of guarding your personal time is don't be afraid to say when something is too much. Um, it's something that that I struggle with um, even now because you want to do, 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 because we talk about advocating for yourself and exposing others to your skill set. And sometimes you get so caught up in that, that you say yes to everything when there are some no's that definitely need to be handed out. Um, and it's okay. It doesn't detract from your, your image or your ability to complete things, but knowing that it's okay to say no, um, it's okay to ask for extended deadlines. I just did. I had a deadline last Friday. I tried, tried, tried to make it, but I couldn't. And I was so scared to send that email. I kid you not to say, hey, I, I just couldn't push through Saturday still and do this. I needed, I just needed some time. And guess what happened? Oh, that's totally fine, Kiana. You can get it to us next week. Now I had created all of that angst and anxiety for myself when all I needed to do was ask the question. So but that's my biggest piece of advice in terms of advocating for self. So I am going to steal Kiana's disclaimer. This is a really hard question. I, I, think, I feel like I'm always trying to work from behind. And so I'm trying to catch up, you know, and, and I think because of that, you always want to say yes, you want to be the one to get the answer and for someone to notice you because you're, you're still trying to build, you know, pharmacy as, as old as it is, is still so new in some regards. There's so much more potential and so much more opportunity for us to, to, to grow. And I'm sure as we, kind of venture into this new area, we want to be like the one that they call on so that we can continue to kind of sprout across the profession and move the profession forward. So super hard question. Um, I really think it's a conscious effort that you have to, to think about. Uh, and, and there's great pressure in continuing trying to, to work so that you can maintain and also progress in your career too. So that's why there's the saying, the early bird gets the worm, right? And so there's this stigma that's kind of attached to asking for that work home balance. So I think the first person that you have to convince is yourself that you actually need it and, and tell yourself it's okay. You can step away and you need to practice that self-care. Um, and I think being your best self feeds into your professional life. So it's super important, I think, to have that, that balance. 
I also think that you need to make it part of your conversation when you discuss goals and plans with your boss or your supervisor, make it a priority in your life so others can see that it's a priority as well. And I think that just makes the conversation easier as you go through. And the more you're able to do this, the longer you'll be able to sustain it um, going forward in your career. Absolutely, I agree with you, Twee, that you have to have enough for yourself, right? I've always told you have X amount of beans. And if you're giving your beans all to one thing, then you have no beans left for yourself or the things that you need to help recharge. Um, similar to Kiana, I have my physical exercise that I do in the morning. I get up in the morning and I run before I come here to work. And I know for myself that that's the best time for me because my day gets derailed um, when I get home. In the days that I don't get a chance to do that, I just don't feel that I have the same clarity, the same energy that I would if I just went ahead and allowed myself that time to do some physical activity. Another thing that I do, which may be bad, um, I guess, uh, emails to me. If it was that important, you would call me, you would text me. So as far as my work email, it does not automatically come to my phone. I have it set on manual. So when I click on that email app, that's when I get to see my email. So that's kind of my way of not constantly being stressed out about things going at work because I have this constant ding, 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 right, of all these things that, I mean, nowadays, if you're anything like me, you're getting 40, 50, 60, 70 emails a day, and it becomes very overwhelming. And a majority of those emails aren't even important. However, they do eat up your time, right? And they do take your beans away from you. So that's definitely um, another thing I do. And then as a leader, I give the same respect and the same boundaries to my staff. So if they're off, I do not call them or text them or anything unless it's extremely necessary because I know as well they need their time to recharge and regenerate and spend time with their family. Well, you guys have all really shared a lot on how creating those boundaries and highlighting priorities from the very beginning is so integral in preventing burnout. And all of these examples really show how advocating for yourself, both personally and professionally, can have a huge impact on creating a sustainable work-life balance. So thank you for sharing all of that. So I'd like to end by sharing any tips you've learned along the way. What do you think others should keep in their back pocket when you think of self-advocacy? So for me, Maria, I would definitely say that it's volunteering with associations. I have met a lot of people through my time with LSHP. Um, I actually met Kiana through LSHP and also through our partnership with Oshner Health System. I have met students. I have met people at other hospitals across the state. So having that opportunity to network with people who you normally wouldn't be in contact with, I think is a huge asset for you because you never know where you're going to be as evidence, right, by all of our stories, those people can advocate for you. And that's a whole nother thing too, right, with networking is people advocating for you. 
it's one thing that you say, oh yeah, I'm the best, right? I can do this job. I have all the skills, but it's a whole nother thing when you have other people saying the same thing for you, right? And tooting your horn. So it's important that you put your best self forward, um, right? As everyone always says, small, pharmacy is a very small world. So you just have to be mindful of your interactions with people. And even outside of pharmacy, I know for me here, it did help that when I was in my clinical position, I had good relationships with nursing and providers um, and administration. So then when I came through for interviews for this position, they kind of had an idea um, of my personality and how I worked with people and my work. So putting yourself in those positions, I think really will help you with your self-advocacy. I agree with you, Keisha. You know, I was thinking about it as you talked about it. And I think all three of us have mentioned it throughout this, this podcast, but, you know, I was drawn to ASHP by a mentor. So there's that twofold connection. I saw the work that she was doing and I wanted to be engaged and then found different levels of engagement locally and then nationally. Um, so I think volunteering with associations is really good. And then I cannot stress enough the impact mentors can have. Um, I've had some really, really great advocates throughout my career, um, some of which I did not even realize how much they advocated for me until I was in another position, um, you know, not even there. But you really, I would, I would press upon anyone. You've got to identify mentors. Sometimes they come to you, but sometimes they don't. Um, so don't be afraid to advocate for having a mentor and you should have a mentor of every type. You should have a peer mentor. You should have a mentor that's doing something that you think might be really cool to aspire to. You should have a mentor that's a different personality type to help you with your emotional intelligence and interacting with people and engaging in discussions. Um, you really, you need a mentor every step of the way. You need someone that you can funnel ideas through and who can think about things from a different perspective to help shed light on opportunities that you might not even see in your current position to display some of your skills or people you need to talk to. And then one taboo topic that I want to bring up because it's something that I never felt comfortable doing is negotiating for um, your salary or titles or, you know, whatever's important to you for a position because, and I say it's taboo because from my perspective, I think of myself as a worker bee. You work hard, people are going to see it naturally, right? A, B, C, and then, you know, you'll get the promotion or you'll get, you know, the pay that you want, but that's not exactly how things work. So you have to continue to work hard, but people have to be exposed to that and you have to be willing to do the research and ask the questions. There have been situations where I've had a position and I didn't know until long after that maybe I should have advocated for myself. Maybe I was paid less. Maybe I, you know, whatever the case may be. But I feel like you always should have this attitude of gratitude, right? And in, in my limited view of that, an attitude of gratitude says I take what's given to me and I'm excited about it because I'm grateful. Um, but those two don't go well together professionally. It, it's not a lack of gratitude when you negotiate. Um, it's just a way of advocating for yourself just as you would 
Um, I think of it as, as I love sales. When I shop, I love a sale. I'm not going to buy something regular price when I know <laughs> I've got a 95% chance that at some point it's going to drop by at least 30%, right? And so why handle yourself any less than you'd handle your groceries, the things you put on your body, the things you like to buy, the sports, the games, anything that you spend on, why would you not advocate for yourself in the same regard? So, and I'll kind of turn it over to Tweet with that. Well, Kiana and Keisha, if, uh, if, if pharmacy ever falls out of favor for you, I think life coach might be up your alley for the both of you. <laughs> So I, for me, logistically, uh, my first uh, tip would be document. I know it sounds very boring. Document what you have done. Document your hits, your misses, accomplishments, your goals. You know, in the moment you remember what you did and you're so happy that you did it. And all of a sudden you're 16 years as myself down the road and I can't remember what happened back in 2010, you know, so having that, um, I think is really the, the historical remembering all of that is, is really important. So that's the first uh, tip I would say. Two, um, be scrappy. This is a very endearing term for me. I've, I use this word for myself. I've been called this. I think being scrappy is basically not letting anything stand in your way. You don't have to be the tallest basketball player on the team to be a good player. You don't have to, you know, there's just, you know, and I, I, I take that to heart just because, I, you know, I've always felt that, you know, in pharmacy, I had this, you know, beginning of, like I was saying earlier with the retail pharmacy, and then how did I end up here, you know, and it wasn't luck. It was, you know, there was a lot of maneuvering and a lot of going one way and then getting pushed back and going another way and just and, and continuing to try. So don't let one thing define you. Don't let that set you in a box and, and you know, you feel like you can't move in other places. There's, there's always workarounds. So if you find successes, build upon them. If you have setbacks, adapt and make adjustments. You'll always prevail if you have that perseverance to push through. And, um, and, and last, uh, you know, to kind of really finish what Kiana and Keisha said, advocacy for others, for me, is how I self-advocate. I've worked with students from the moment I became a pharmacist. Um, I define my successes by seeing others succeed, whether that be students I've had in the past, whether it be patients that I've helped who then, you know, call you two years later and tell you their stories students who find you on social media and say, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing now. I mean, that's amazing. Um, so if I'm able to be a mentor or I can spark a passion or an idea in one person and they go on to thrive, um, then I get to live vicariously through them and um, they become a testament to the work that you've done. So I think that's the best way to self-advocate is to advocate for others because you know that the work that you're doing is, is enough to inspire someone else to do it. So I, I love this topic and I think that it's gonna take a lot of advocacy for us to, to continue to push through and make our mark, but I think we're doing a great job so far. You know, Tweet, I didn't even think about how documenting could be considered a form of self-advocacy and it 
truly is the way that you described it. I don't even remember what I've done 10 years ago. And I remember being so proud of myself at that point. And just because now I'm further along in my career does not mean that it is no longer valuable and it shouldn't be celebrated. So you guys have all really opened my eyes to just the different avenues for advocacy professionally, advocacy personally. Um, and if anything, now I have some great new metaphors to stick in my back pocket <laughs> as well. So thank you all, you know, thank you Twee, Keisha and Kiana for sharing your thoughts so openly. Um, you all have shared some fantastic examples of why advocating for yourself is so important and how individuals can learn habits that can help them along the way. So I hope those listening um, have been able to take away positives from this conversation because I know I really have. So join us here at ASHP Official for more podcasts as a part of the Women in Pharmacy Leadership Series. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.